The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anybody know what song that was? Probably not. God is good all the time. Take a song, gives a song of praise in this heart of mine. God is good all the time. In the darkest night, His light will shine. God is good. He's so good all the time. Amen. He is good all the time. Take your Bibles with me, please. Luke chapter 13, please. Luke 13, verse number 22 is where we're going to begin, and on, on Sunday, what day is this? Uh, Sunday evenings, we have been uh, going through the book of Luke as much as we possibly can. We've had bumps or pauses, I guess you could say, along the way with different speakers come in and different uh, circumstances that have come along, but we've been endeavoring to make our way through the book of Luke uh, segment by segment or verse by verse, and we're going to come to verse number 22 tonight and read down through verse number 30. And so join with me, please, in verse 22 of Luke 13, and we'll read down through verse number 30. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Then said one unto him, Lord... Are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut the door, and ye being, uh, begin to stand without um, to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us, and he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not, whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And behold, there are last which shall be first, and there are first which shall be last. Our Father, we thank you for tonight and the opportunity to gather together with our church family again this evening. I would ask that you just bless our time in your word, that your Holy Spirit would guide me as I deliver the message, our hearts as we hear it tonight. And uh, Lord, that we would just be able to honor and glorify you through all that is done. And we ask that our hearts would be in tune with your spirit to be able to, to heed the message tonight and what an important one it truly is for every single individual to this evening. And Lord, I ask now that you'd be honored and glorified through it and your will be accomplished. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you, especially in an area in which we live with being a military town, have been on some fascinating journeys, I'm sure whether it be because of the uh, work that the uh, government has sent you on or even family vacations or along those ways, anything along those things. Uh, we, of course, have been to different places. And if you've ever been on a road trip, especially if it's a trip that you take as a family or as an individual on a regular basis, you'll probably have looked or put together some landmarks along the way, kind of say, okay, I know where I'm at without really keeping an eye, a track of where you're at. 
Uh, an instance for that, of course, is like when I was in college, uh, driving back and forth from uh, my home in Decatur, Illinois, to Crown Point, Indiana for college. And so it was a pretty simple trek, a couple, just a few roads or highways for the most part, about three-hour drive. Um, but uh, I would take off from Decatur, and I would hop onto the highway and take it over to Champaign, and, and uh, then uh, at Champaign, take, take the up next highway and start going, making my way up north, and there would be different areas and different scenery. In fact, uh, uh, there was just certain businesses that had uh, specific things outside uh, its business that kind of made it stand out on that highway. I remember, of course, uh, the state of Illinois is considered the land of Lincoln, and uh, one of the uh, businesses on the highway had a huge probably 30 or 50 foot statue of Abraham Lincoln standing right out there next to the highway. And so as I'm driving down past that way, I know or have an idea of where I'm at without really even paying attention. I, I could view and see, I would I pass a state uh, police uh, headquarters uh, that was right there on the side of the highway. I know that I was approaching somewhere in the area of Kankakee, Illinois as well and going through. And then uh, I would be coming into Sock Village or so and take Sock Trail over and end up into the, into crossing the Indiana state line and making my way. And then, of course, down uh, that area and all the restaurants and all of that. I don't have to look at, at street signs. I look at the businesses that line that road to know where I'm at and know where to turn, all right? When I was, when, when Jen and I got married and we would go back to visit my parents in Illinois, we would leave from uh, Cabot area, we would go down and hit 40 and we would go east and we would go towards Memphis and as we're coming in and we start to see the city, we would know that it's about time to take the next exit and for the next uh, uh, highway and we'd take that and we'd start going up north towards Missouri and we would know that we were about to be crossing into the Illinois, uh, crossing the Illinois border once we started seeing signs for Lambert's Cafe. Anybody ever heard or know of Lambert's Cafe, the home of the throne roll? And uh, if you've never been there, it's a pretty interesting place. In fact, you go in, you sit down, and uh, the, there, there's waiters or waitresses that are pushing carts full of rolls, and their rolls are about that big around, and they're good, man. But they don't come to your table and ask you, do you want one? You sit there and you raise your hand, and from across the, the restaurant, they throw it at you. And I've seen people get pegged in the head and not paying attention and things like that. But we knew, we knew that it was getting close to crossing over in Illinois because of it being there, uh, uh, seeing those signs in that area as well. We would call those landmarks or signposts, right, to be able to say, to help mark where we're at. Well, verse number 22 in our chapter tonight, we could say is a landmark for the journey of Jesus in his ministry. We had seen other landmarks. In fact, the last one that would have occurred was back in Luke 9 in verse number 51, where it said, and it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Here in verse number 22, it says, and he went through the cities and villages teaching and journeying towards where? Jerusalem. And he's, he's moving forward and he's getting ever so closer uh, to the purpose of his arrival here on earth. And that is Jerusalem and the uh, events that would take place there, ultimately the, his crucifixion on the cross and resurrection. But since chapter 9, Luke has told us of the time of the Feast of the Tabernacles at the end of September. He has told us of the Feast of uh, Dedication, which occurs at the end of December as well. 
So during this time, uh, Jesus ministered in and out of Judea on his way towards Jerusalem. We do know that it was at some point in his ministry that he was present at the, de- at the Feast of Dedication, because the Bible says in John 10 and 22, it says, and it came, uh, and, and I'm sorry, and it was at Jerusalem, the Feast of Dedication, and it was winter. And so we understand that, but we are be- we're able to actually put some time frames in, in the journeys of Jesus, when we consider what Luke has given us and the information he has given us, we know when these feasts and, and such take place on the Jewish calendar, and so we can begin to see what time frame it is in Jesus' earthly ministry. Our current passage here, of course, then, would find Jesus in his final three and a half months of ministry. We would find that these events recorded in our text Place or, or take place east of the Jordan River in an area called Perea, and uh, it, it was out of reach of those that would have been plotting to harm Jesus and to cause Jesus problems, as we've seen in his journeys already. But from, from Perea, Jesus would make his way towards his final destination of Jerusalem and descend through Jericho, and a journey that would end ultimately with, with his crucifixion. Edersheim said, put it this way, Jesus found it necessary to leave Jerusalem and Judea for a time. The campaign in Judea had profoundly stirred the people. But antagonism of his enemies had also grown more bitter, culminating in a renewed attempt to stone him in the Feast of Dedication. All doors to his ministry were now closed in Judea. Uh, For some time, Galilee also had rejected his ministry. There was only one place left to his choice for the work of the remaining brief months before he should face the last issue in Jerusalem, the half-heathen province of Perea across the Jordan. But as we read here tonight, as Jesus continues to do what he's been doing, ministering and warning of uh, judgment, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, we find that it's interesting to note that someone approaches Jesus with a question. And the question there is found in verse um, number 23. It says, and then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? Jesus has been ministering, it says. He's been teaching in the villages and he's making his way to Jerusalem But his message has struck a chord with one, and that one asks, are there many, or sorry, are there few that be saved? I want you to notice with me first and foremost tonight that as Jesus was on this journey and as he was in this specific place, we noticed this was an intentional assignment. Because as we see in verse number 22, it says, and he went through the cities and villages teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. It wasn't by chance. It wasn't an accident. But we find in these opening verses of this passage that we are reminded by Luke once again of exactly what Jesus' purpose on earth was. His purpose was to teach and to minister, but ultimately would culminate in his crucifixion there in Jerusalem. And uh, uh, he always stayed on task. He always stayed on his purpose. He is teaching everywhere he goes, and he's determined to eventually arrive in Jerusalem at the appointed time. Remember the book of Galatians, Paul writes that it was at the exact perfect right time that Jesus would come and that he would be crucified. 
Every day, though, brought Jesus closer to the cross. But in this assignment that was in very intentional for our Lord, we find some, uh, some specific um, uh, Parts of this journey and a parts of this assignment, and part of that was his teaching ministry, as we read there in verse number 22. Although Jesus' teaching on salvation and the kingdom had been rejected in the Galilean region and in Judea as well, he still ministered to those who would believe his message and accept it as well. See, he never allowed himself to get discouraged when uh, he was in Judea, and after a while, people started to fight against him and to push him out. He never allowed himself to become uh, discouraged when uh, he was in the Galilean regions and he was preaching and teaching and folks had accepted it maybe at first, but then he found some backlash and, and found some, uh, some folks that would antagonize against him. He never allowed that to discourage him. He continued to move ever so closer to that final time, but while the Lord gave him time, while his father gave him time in his earthly ministry, he continued his assignment. He continued to teach and to reach those that would listen. My friends, that ought to be encouragement to us tonight because we are definitely going to face times that people don't want to hear anything about God. Maybe it be our family. Maybe it be coworkers. Maybe it be friends. Maybe it be our community. But regardless of the response that we get, the the uh, example of Jesus gives us the example of just being faithful all the way until the end. John 10 verses 41 and 42 says, And many restored unto him and uh, resorted unto him, I'm sorry, and said, John did no miracle, but all things that John spake of this man were true. And many, he says, believed on him there. Speaking of what was taking place at this time and Jesus' current ministry, as we read here in Luke, John put it this way, that many believed on him. And we don't know exactly who will and who won't, but our duty and our job is just simply to share the message and let the Holy Spirit do his work. But his, intent, his assignment was intentional, and as he went from place to place, he taught, and his travel showed as such as well. He didn't just aimlessly go along the way. He had a final destination in, uh, in, in sights. Everything that Jesus did was deliberate, and uh, this constant movement was not pointless. It wasn't like he was just running for the sake of running. It wasn't as if he was moving locations for the sake of moving locations, but it was positioning him ever so closer to the cross. Matthew 9, verses 35 and 36 says this. It says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and uh, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. And his compassion led him from place to place to reach others. I don't know that, uh, that uh, we're necessarily going to pack up our duds and, and strategically go from place to place in our state to share the gospel. But as we go through our daily life, could we still not be intentional with how we respond and how we interact with individuals as well? Absolutely we can. We find that his assignment, it was intentional in his teaching and his traveling. And he also gave a, a needed responding to those that would come to him with questions. And we noticed this question already. We noted it in verse number 23. The one came and said to him, Lord, are there few 
that be saved. This was a question of concern by this individual because he was concerned about who would, could, who would be saved. And since Jesus was teaching the people that he was the way of salvation, we would read in John that he's the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, he would say. And as he's teaching that to the people, the person who asks this question is wondering, okay, how many will be saved then? Is it going to be a dozen? Is it just a few in this location? What's, uh, how many will be saved? And we think of places now uh, with us having the Word of God at our disposal. Romans 5 and verses 6 through 10 says, For uh, when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The answer to the question of how many will be saved is just simply whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Jesus will go on, which we'll get into in just a moment, and give his answer. But his answer was simply that. It, it, it is not that I only have allotted so many to be able to trust me. It, whosoever will, will be saved. I think of the fact of the matter that many times people try to complicate salvation. And they try to make it harder than it actually is. They try to say, think to themselves or say, well, uh, the truth is, is I understand that Jesus died so that I could be saved, uh, but surely I have to do something on my end. And that's where religion says do and, and, uh, and where religion would have traditions or rituals trying to earn the appeasement of God. That's why there would be those that would say, well, if I get in a baptistry tank, that will wash away my sins. I'm sorry, my friends, that water is not anything special. It cannot wash away our sins. It's the blood of Christ that does that. And we would find those that would try to somehow add their works to earning salvation, and that just simply cannot be. I'm reminded of the story of uh, during the Spanish-American War, Clara Barton, who oversaw the work of the Red Cross in Cuba. One day, Colonel Theodore Roosevelt came to her, who came to her asking to buy food for those that were sick and those who were hurting and those who needed some sustenance in his infamous Rough Riders. Uh, and uh, however, when he asked if he could buy the food from her, she he said no. She refused the opportunity to take anything from him to be able to get it. Roosevelt was perplexed. His men needed the help, and he was prepared to pay out of his own funds to be able to give the men the needed sustenance that they had. When he asked someone why he couldn't, uh, could not buy the supplies, he was told, Colonel, just ask for it. A smile broke over Roosevelt's face, and now he understood that the provisions were not for sale. They were for those who were in need, freely to be given. And that's exactly how salvation is for the, for the individual today. Salvation is available to who, for those who need it, to whosoever would just simply call upon the name of the Lord. We see in his responding a question of concern here from this man. But an answer to the crowd is given. And although the question was asked by one individual, Jesus addresses everyone that is there. He doesn't just say, this is for you. He says, this is an answer for all 
that are able to hear and, and heed these words. And aren't you glad that our Lord always has an answer for a sincere seeker? One that truly desires to know His truth. And for, for those who are seeking truth, even in today's day and age and in our society, when things are so quickly available, we can take out our smartphone and, and Google this and that, and within seconds we get answers. But for those who truly want to know the absolute, unadulterated truth, the Word of God holds it. And the Word of God is the answer. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3 and 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. But tonight we've seen, number one, the intention, an intentional assignment. But number two, notice an important address as Jesus speaks to this crowd in verses 24 through 27. As he gets into this, to his response in this address, his response to the question about who could be saved or who will be saved, Jesus delivers a powerful message about the fact that it's a personal decision, that it's a personal response. It is not the response of your father. It is not the response of your grandmother. It is not the family response. It is not even the response of your church. It has to be a response of, for, of the individual. And that's what he says in verse number 24. It's about, this important address was about an individual decision. Notice verse number 24 with me. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. What he's saying is that the individual must be focused. Jesus is not saying that we have to be able to earn our way into salvation. But that then the way is challenging that the way of salvation is difficult for the sinner due to the many dangers of false teachings about how salvation could be obtained. We've already discussed that many would believe that they have to add something to gain their salvation. And uh, Jesus is not emphasizing works here. He's emphasizing the free gift of grace that he's given. John 6, verse number 27 and verse number 40 says, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat that which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at that last day. David E. Garland said it this way, that the saved are those who seize the opportunity now. Once the time for a decision is past, attempts to enter into salvation afterward will be futile. John 14 and 6, Jesus saith unto him, as I mentioned earlier, I am the way. The truth and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And as he gives this important address about an individual's decision, he says, let that person be focused on the, on the salvation that is offered through Jesus Christ. He goes on to say that that individual must enter in through the straight gate or the narrow gate. Matthew 7 it records this information in the same instance here. And we find in verses 13 through 15, it says, Enter ye in at the straight gate for, gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in uh, thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which, which come unto you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves." My friends, the only way that one can experience the salvation that this one asked about, about who could be saved, 
is by putting their faith and trust alone in Jesus Christ. See, there would be those, as we read in Matthew's account of this, that would try to, uh, to steer uh, those who are in need of Christ away from the absolute truth. They were false prophets who were in, uh, in uh, sheep's clothing, but were wolves ready, ready to uh, raven those who would, uh, uh, would listen and heed their calling. The final warning in verse number 24 is that there will, be, will come a point, though, when it is too late. There will come a point when there is no opportunity left. See, our God is gracious every single moment that He gives us breath to allow us another opportunity to turn to Him if we haven't before. But His grace can be trampled upon, Scripture says. And we can make it of none effect. And when we take that last breath and we stand before Him, we don't get to change our mind then. Our knee will bow before Him. It will either be in praise and glory for what He has done for us, or it will be in the fact of recognizing Him as Savior like we should have done, or as, as King, I should say, when we should have done it in our earthly life as Savior. We find that He warns that some will not be able to enter in. He gives this important address about an individual's decision, but He also gives an important address about an individual consequence. See, the fact that I've trusted Christ as my Savior has no bearing on whether or not Christ is your Savior. And the fact that you might not have chosen Christ as your Savior has no bearing on the consequence for me. It only has consequence for you. And we read that in verses 25 through 27. When once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut the door, and ye being begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, Open unto us, and he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. I know you not whence ye are. Verse number 26, then, ye shall, uh, then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunken in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. Jesus first addresses the individual, but then broadens his reach to introduce the entirety, uh, specifically in this context of the Jewish nation. He speaks of a door of refusal in verse number 25, that the people will have the opportunity to either accept or to reject the message of Christ, but many have chosen not to accept it. Daryl Bach put it this way, a door is often an image of entry into the banquet of eschatological blessing at God's palace or, in, or is related to the image of the great wedding. Luke stresses uh, not only that the door is narrow so that the people must come in right away, but also that it's the only, that is only open for a short time. But we find that he speaks of a door of refusal. And he speaks of a word of rejection in verse number 27 also, because he said, those who do not receive him will hear these horrible words, depart from me. Number one, this evening we've seen an intentional assignment. Number two, an important address. But thirdly, notice an inspired authorization in verses 28 through 30. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets of the in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out, and they shall come from the east and uh, from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And behold, there are uh, last which shall be first, and there are first which shall be last. See, Old Testament prophecies had indicated that God would give Israel a window of time to receive salvation through their Messiah. 
We read in Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach the good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and, to, and, the, and the opening of the prison uh, to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. And Jesus would come during his earthly ministry and would plead with those that were underneath his voice to accept him as their Messiah. Some did, but many would not. Their choice, though, was ultimately theirs to make. He gave them the signs. He gave them the prophecies. He fulfilled those signs and prophecies. He gave them the opportunity to accept, but the choice was up to theirs. He would not twist anyone's arm to make them uh, trust him. And Luke 19, verses 42 through 44 says this, saying, If thou hast known, even thou at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast the trench about thee, and compass thee around, uh, uh, compass thee around and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. There's a, there was a period of time for these he was ministering to, and only that time would be available for them to be able to trust him. And the same is true for you and I tonight, my friends. We only have a certain amount of time to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He, he gives a pronouncement of grief in verse number 28, that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Christ warns these unbelieving Jews in his presence here that, that day. And scripture makes it clear that all unbelievers are simply doing, doing this, living on borrowed time. That's why Hebrews tells us today is the day of salvation. And Jesus desires a response, just not familiarity. Just because you know of Jesus doesn't mean he's your savior. I know of the president of the United States, but he and I are not best buds for multiple reasons, but nevertheless. <laughs> I, just because I know of him, familiarity does not mean there's relationship. And there has to be a decision to trust, trust Jesus as your personal Savior. That's why Paul would write to Timothy that there would be some, as he wrote in 2 Timothy 3, 5, that would have a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such, he was to turn away. Jesus re rejects the second appeal in, most, in a most emphatic terms, when he, we, and we read in Luke 6 and 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Matthew 7, verses 21 through 22 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say unto me that in that day, Lord, Lord, we have, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. John 8 and 21 says, Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and you shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whether I go, you cannot come. Because just because someone has a familiarity with who Jesus is, doesn't mean they have a relationship with who Jesus is. So he gives a pronouncement of grief, and he get, but he, he leaves it, listen, my friends, as always, he leaves it with a provision of grace, because we find in verses 29 and 30, they shall come from the east and from the west. Here's, here's the ultimate finalization of the answer of, 
in verse number 22, uh, where, I'm sorry, verse number 23, are there few that be saved? And he said, well, here's the deal, only those who trust me, only those, whoever will call upon me, whoever will trust me as, my, as their personal Savior will be saved. And in fact, he says in verse number 29, they will come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. He goes on verse number 30, behold, there are, uh, there are, which, uh, there are last which shall be first, I'm sorry, and there are first which shall be last. He says, for the believers, in contrast to those who are absent from the kingdom, there are those who are going to be definitely present in the kingdom. And unbeknownst to the Jewish people that were in this crowd that day that was standing before the Lord, who thought they were maybe going to be the only ones that would be able to inherit it, Jesus is saying from east and west and from north and from south and for all, from all avenues of the globe, there are going to be those from those regions that are going to be in his kingdom. He said, there are those which are first, the Jews who thought they were top-notch and something special, that are actually going to be last. And those who they would have denied, who they would say are last, will actually be first, he says. And he speaks of the Gentile believers that will be included into the kingdom as well. These Gentiles, in contrast to the crowd before Jesus, uh, will sit down at the blessed banquet table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the prophets, he says. And we read in Ephesians 3, verses 6 through 8, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of, this, of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of, the, of, of his power. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. God's grace had been extended to that Jewish population there. Many of them would reject it. But His grace would be extended to all the regions of the globe so that whosoever should call upon the name would be saved. He gives a provision of grace for the believer. He gives a provision of grace for the humble. Daryl Bach again said, Jesus closes with a saying that makes the eschatological re reversal, marks the eschatological reversal that he had just described. See, the national pride, as I mentioned, of the Jews is hit hard in verse number 30 because they thought they were to somebody special, that they were set apart from everyone else. And just because one is the physical seed of Abraham does not give them an elevated position in the Lord's eyes or even any inclusion in the Lord's kingdom. The Jew who thought themselves to be first will be last, he said, and the Gentile who the Jews thought would be last would be first. We read in Matthew 3, verses 8 through 10, bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. He's speaking of those who thought because of their heritage, they were going to experience the kingdom just on that. He says, listen, I could come and I could take these stones over here and I could make them children of Abraham. You're no one special because of your heritage. And in fact, the axe is coming. He will hewn down, he will cut down any tree that is not being fruitful, not ex 
experiencing the fruit of the Spirit, not having been truly transformed or experiencing the salvation in Christ. And he's just saying, your pedigree or your heritage means nothing when it comes to the kingdom of God. Romans 2 and verses 11 through 13 says this, For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. I'm sorry, without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For, there, uh, for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. See, some Gentiles who they seem to be, the Jews thought to be distant will end up near. While many Jews who thought because of their their association through their heritage felt they were near are actually going to be found to be distant. You say, preacher, why are you, why are you making a big deal about that? Because there are individuals within churches today that think because of who their parents were or who their grandparents were or because of their growing up in church or whatever the case might be somehow equates them to being okay and that they're going to have a place in heaven. My friends, those things don't have any bearing on whether or not a person enters in. The thief on the cross had none of those things. He was vile and wretched. But as he hung there, he looked at Christ and said, I believe that you are the Son of God. And he said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. The one who has never stepped foot into a church house, who has lived their life just a mess and a wreck, but here's the glorious message of the gospel and puts their faith and trust in Jesus who would maybe die before they ever have a chance to enter into the church is going to have a place in heaven. But the one who's entered the doors every time the doors are open, who's passed an offering plate, who's even been and stirred a baptistry tank, who's helped in Sunday school classes but never trusted Jesus as their Savior will be on the flip side and here, depart from me, I never knew you. Because it's not about us. It's about what Jesus has already done. See, many people desire to have an eternity with God. You ask somebody today, you want to go to heaven? Oh, yeah, absolutely I do. But they don't pursue it. They don't, they don't trust the one that is necessary. They might trust themselves. They might trust in their morality. But they don't trust in the one who matters most. And Jesus warns there are those who neglect God and engage in worldly pleasures here on this earth. But when their life is over, or at the judgment, they will seek to enter into heaven, but it will be too late then. Now, my friends, I know who the crowd I'm speaking to on a Sunday night. I, I, I look at you this evening, and of course, uh, part of the reason for the message is because it's the next stop along the way as we go through Luke, no doubt. But I'm just here to warn again that just because you're here on a Sunday night doesn't mean that you're saved. I'm not here. I don't by any means want to try to scare someone into making a profession. That does no good for anything. But I do want us to be sure to understand clearly that salvation comes from Christ alone, His work alone, but through extending His grace alone. See, those that are going to be at the end and say, hey, let me in. They did not make finding Jesus in the time they had a priority of their life. That's why today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Would you stand to your feet with me tonight, please, with her head bowed and eyes closed? With her head bowed and eyes closed tonight, I wonder how many here would say, Pastor, I do know for sure that I'm saved. I know that heaven's my home.
I have called upon the name of the Lord for salvation. I've trusted Him as my personal Savior. And if anything were to happen tonight, I know that heaven is my home. Christ is my Savior. Could I rejoice with you? Slip your hand up and write back down about a te- for a testimony to that end. Thank you, Lord, for all the hands of testimony for salvation tonight. But would there be anyone here tonight who'd just be honest? And I'm, I'm, be, I'm being 100% truthful tonight in saying this. I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care what your background is. But I wonder if anyone here who would say, Pastor, I don't know that I'm saved. I know the crowd that is here tonight, my friends, would be happy that you got it settled. Not think, oh, they've been putting on an act all this time. No, no one would think that. There would be joy and rejoicing if, you've been, if you're here tonight and you've been struggling with whether or not you're saved. Again, I'm not trying to convince you otherwise, but I'm asking you to search your heart and to know whether or not you've truly trusted Jesus as your personal Savior. Is there anyone here who would say, Pastor, please pray for me because I am not 100% sure that heaven is my home. I'm not sure that Christ is my Savior. Just slip your hand up and write back down. Let me pray for you tonight. Anybody like that? Please, Pastor, pray for me. And one last question. For the believers here, we know that His grace has been extended. We thank Him for that. We ought to do that on a regular basis. But the example that was set about His ministry and His time that was here, He knew He only had a certain amount of time to do as much as He could for His kingdom. Do you realize that you only have a certain amount of time for you to do as much as you can for the kingdom of God in the breaths that He's given you today as well? So in the fact that he knew that he only had a certain amount of time, he was purposeful. He, uh, he didn't do it just haphazardly or just uh, kind of go from this place to this place without a purpose. He was purposeful. And in that example, how many would say, Pastor, please pray with me that in the time that the Lord gives me, that I would use it wisely, that I'd live it purposefully for him. Could I pray for you tonight? Just appearing up and right back down. Hands all across the auditorium. I'm going to pray. The music is going to begin to play. And if the Lord has spoken to your heart in any way tonight, I'd invite you to come to the altar if you're able or right there in your seat. You call it to the Lord and, and, uh, and respond as he's spoken to you. If you're here tonight and you don't know him, you might not have raised your hand, but if you don't know him, please come and get my attention to let me have someone show you from the word of God how you can know for sure that heaven's your home and that Christ is your personal Savior. Our Father, we thank you for the message. We thank you for your word that gives us the instructions there and your example that is highlighted as well. Lord, we ask now that you have your will and your way in this invitation. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.